Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means this week I will be in Indianapolis for the annual NFL Scouting Combine. Uh, I will be here through Friday. The, tech, the Some of the workouts go on through the weekend, um, but access for reporters is a bit limited. But I am staying through Friday because that's when the quarterbacks speak. Adam Peters, Dan Quinn also expected to speak. We're going to run through combine thoughts as well as I have done a first draft of a mock draft, you could say. I went all the way through Washington's first pick in the third round. I'll give you my thoughts as to how I see the board now that I'm getting a, a, a closer look at the whole situation. Uh, and I've got some other notes to get into as well. Guest today, talking more about the draft, talking more about it beyond just the options at number two, friend of the podcast, Danny Kelly from The Ringer. He is The Ringer's go-to guy for all things draft. He's also one of the co-hosts of their fantasy football podcast. Uh, we went through, I definitely asked Danny for what he thinks Washington's best bet is at number two, but we went beyond that to try to get some feel for players who could be there on day two, some strengths and weaknesses with this draft class, and more. So we'll get to all that in a moment here on the podcast, which you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. You can, of course, hit me up on Twitter or X at Ben Standig. Uh, I will have a new article up Monday morning on The Athletic about what it is I am watching here at the Combine as it relates to Washington. It's not just about number two, you know, Drake May and Jaden Daniels and, and Caleb Williams. We've talked and some of that for sure, but we've talked about that a lot. But I tried to get into some other avenues as well. Uh, including a couple topics that you wouldn't think would maybe, or at least one topic you wouldn't think would have anything to do with Washington, but I do think, um, well, it's about Justin Fields, I guess I would say. I do think Justin Fields' situation does impact Washington, whether they are looking to trade for him or not, and I assume they are not. So we'll get to that in a moment here on the podcast. All right, a couple things here. Let me just do a couple notes before we get to the sort of drill into the drill down into the combine. Uh, one note, uh, Eric Bieniemy is going to be the offensive coordinator and associate head coach or assistant head coach at UCLA. That news came out yesterday. We have uh, some notes on that up on The Athletic. Um, you know, look, the, the Eric Bieniemy situation continues to go in a way that his supporters are not thrilled with. There were already a lot of people asking last year, hey, why is this guy, the OC for the Chiefs, now going to take essentially a, a, a lateral job with a terrible team in Washington, or at least a team that I shouldn't say, they ended up terrible. They were mediocre at the point that he went there for a team that had a chance to win the Super Bowl and then did. And, you know, I told you guys at that point, it was because I don't think he really had too many other options. I think he kind of needed to get out of Kansas City, both for himself and I think the team was, you know, I think they were kind of encouraging him to see what else he could figure out. Comes to Washington. Obviously, the season went the way that it went. Not that it was on him per se, but obviously, you know, four wins isn't going to help. And now here he is going to take an OC job at UCLA. Now, 
on the surface, that doesn't sound that bad, right? I mean, UCLA is obviously a historic program. Well, I guess you can't say Pac-12 anymore. Now a Big Ten school. What a weird, what a weirdo that is. Um, but realize that Chip Kelly, who was the head coach at UCLA, he left to go take an OC job with Ohio State, and he had been um, in the mix for a couple of OC jobs in the NFL, including he was a, a rumored candidate for Washington. To see a head coach leave a program like that, you got to ask questions like, "What is going on here?" What I my sense was from having talked to people about when I heard that Chip Kelly was being kind of mentioned for the OC job here was that basically UCLA has fallen behind the other big programs in terms of spending, basically. Uh, you know, fans just do not flock to games anymore uh, for that program. So they are a bit behind now. And in other words, this kind of feels like a similar situation to what happened last year. That UCLA, you know, UCLA, like Washington, is uh, meaning the commanders, is kind of in a rough spot. doesn't have a shot at the pick of the litter, looking for someone to come in to give them a lift. And obviously Eric Bieniemy, he's a Southern California guy. He's got a big name. He's going to help out Deshaun uh, Foster, the new head coach. And, uh, you know, sounds like he's going to have a lot of autonomy there, similar to what he had with, with the commander. So good luck to Eric Bieniemy. We will see how that unfolds and if he can help turn things around there and maybe in, in doing so boost his chances of getting back into the NFL. Um, he apparently, he told ESPN or, or maybe a couple others that he turned down an opportunity with Washington to stay. He wasn't fired. I, that feels like a semantics argument. Like, I don't think, I don't know if we had any of us technically reported you got fired. Maybe I, maybe we did because we were told by Dan Quinn that he wouldn't be back. And then we knew we had at least a year left. We, we knew he had a year left on his contract. Um, but realistically, I mean, I don't like the idea that he was given a chance to stay. I don't even know what that would mean. He wouldn't be the OC. Even the running backs coach. I mean, Dan Quinn made it pretty apparent to us that he was eyeing Anthony Lynn. So I really have no idea what job he technically could have had to stay here. Um, so it's one of those things where the reports are out there, but I just don't know what uh, I, I, I have a lot of, you know, Throw a lot of grains of salt at that report is kind of, I guess, what I would say. All right. Uh, one other note with regards to, you know, free agencies starting here in a little over two weeks. That's going to be part of the conversation here at the Combine, getting a feel for the landscape there. Um, we had to do a story on The Athletic recently about cap casualties for your teams. And I went with Logan Thomas, um, just that that tight end room, you know, needs more. He makes, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of you, but he's, you know, he, he's still got a good cap hit and not much in the way of uh, dead money. So he seems like an obvious fit. Now, I mentioned also Charles Leno as a possibility. And I know some of you have pushed back on me on both of these guys on, on social media saying, hey, you know, it's not like they have any other backups. It's not like this, you know, what? how are they going to, shouldn't they wait? before cutting these guys to fill in, you know, to figure out what they're going to do at those spots. Uh, to a degree, sure. I mean, Washington has roughly $75 million in cap space now that the league bumped up the uh, the cap the cap number to $255 million for this year. So it's not like Washington, and that's the most in the league. It's not like Washington needs 
that room or more room. But, you know, these are two guys over 30. You would think that, like, for a new regime starting over, that they may very well want to do just that, start over. And I don't, I do think it's a fair point with Leno to, to ask the question, okay, if you do let him go, um, you're basically taking a $7 million cap charge and he, you clear about $7 million. I'll, I'll pull it up while we're talking. You clear about $7 million as well. And it's not like they have an obvious candidate on the roster, right? I mean, Braden Daniels didn't play last year. I just can't comprehend that he would be um, remotely in the mix for that position. Cornelius Lucas is also a free agent. I think it's kind of imperative, frankly, to sign Lucas. Uh, because of just this reason that, you know, he's always solid when he plays and you don't know what else is going to happen. We still don't know. I I, kind of think Andrew Wiley sticks around, but we'll get into more about the offensive line fixes later. But I just want to acknowledge that, yeah, there is a a, a point where you may have to, you know, think, okay, maybe under normal circumstances, cutting a guy like Leno kind of makes uh, a bit of sense. So here it is. His dead dead money is eight point two five million, and the savings are seven point two eight. So it's not like saving a ton, but at the same point, his cap number is fifteen million. I, you know, again, he, that's the seventy odd million. Actually, I just looked it up here on over the cap. They've got Washington now at seventy nine point six million. That's up from what? Uh, oh, actually, you know what? I take it back. That's the main number. The effective cap space. They actually have it at 67,800, 67 million, I'm sorry, 800, which is lower than what was being shown yesterday. So I'm going to have to learn of that in any event. They've got a lot of money. We'll have to see how they spend it. But all I want to say is that I still kind of think that Leno, would, it, it, he's a logical cap casualty. But I do agree with the idea that if you're going to, especially if you're going to have a young quarterback, really any quarterback, but a young quarterback, you need to have a good solution at that spot. I don't know. They can draft somebody in the second round, which we'll get to in a minute, but I don't know what they would do if Leno goes. The free agency, not a good year for tackles. Again, this is why I think I would sign Cornelius Lucas back. If you had Lucas with an offensive, with a guy you draft in the second round, you know, gives you uh, somebody you can use until that kid is ready. All right, so... Um, that's that. Let's get to, before we get to Danny Kelly, let's, let's get to, uh, my mock draft that I, uh, cooked up here in the last, uh, few days. Now, uh, I did, you know, I, I'm just being honest with you guys. Like I'm way behind with my usual prep for these things. As you know, I like to do the mock drafts in prior life when I wasn't covering the beat per se, like I would start doing mock drafts like for real in like late in the college season, maybe like after Thanksgiving or December, once we started having a better feel for who was going to be uh, in the draft. I haven't, you know, other than just sort of randomly thinking about a couple things here and there, I haven't really dug into the mock draft too much until fairly recently beyond what, what's going to happen at two. I think you can understand it's been busy between, all the job searches and talking so much about number two uh, that um, I just haven't gone beyond that. But we've done that now, um, as and and I you know I like to do it through the whole first round. So I or and what I did though here though is I went beyond that. I went 
not just did the second round. I went to Washington's first pick in the third round as well. Uh, I did not do all the way to the uh, third pick towards the end of the round. Uh, obviously, look, th- th- these are just it's just to try to get a feel for the range uh, of, of positions of players who could potentially be where, where are some of the strengths and weaknesses with the class and so on. And, and you know, I, I for me, I like to figure out, you know, what are the options that, you know, you got to look beyond the pick that you're trying to make to get a feel for what else is out there. Right, because sometimes you have to decide. Hey, I think these two players are even, or maybe this guy's a little a tick ahead. But I know if I don't, you know, this defensive lineman might be ahead of this uh, cornerback. But if I don't take this cornerback now, the drop off to the next time we pick is pretty significant. That type of thinking. So, so here's what I have here. I'll just go quickly through some of this for what it's worth. The top ten I have right now: Caleb Williams, number one of the Bears. I did not do any trades here in this draft. Number two to the Commanders, I have Drake May. Again, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, feels like that could be a, um, you know, a 50-50 call, but it feels like more people right now have Drake May ahead of Daniels. Now, I do want to just stop here for a quick second. We talk a ton about the quarterbacks, but just to go through the situation here, part of what's interesting is that other than Marvin Harrison Jr., the wide receiver from Ohio State, you don't really, you basically don't have any other name getting mentioned being in the top three, right? Could the Patriots take Harrison at three? You don't hear anything about Washington going anywhere besides quarterback. Again, I, I think that maybe a trade down is it should at least be discussed. Not saying it should be the primary, but at least discussed um, for a variety of reasons, which I'll get to in a second. But the only other option really here is Harrison. Sure, they need offensive line, and Joe Alt from Notre Dame might be off the board. Uh, five to the Chargers or somewhere in the top ten. Uh, Olufushanu, the offensive tackle from Penn State. Fuaga, the offensive tackle from Oregon State. I have them all going in the top ten. Uh, Alt, five. Fushanu, seven. Fuaga, ten to the Jets. But the um, I, I just can't see any world that Washington would do that. Now, if they trade, it would take somebody who wasn't a quarterback trade down that's another story but i just wanted to mention it like it's not like they're passing perception wise it's not like they're passing or you know from what we're hearing on like somebody who's like the next such and such out of another position other than perhaps harrison has that type of uh ability and, and notoriety so keep that i just wanted to point that out that like we know they need a quarterback but at that moment, it does not sound like they're passing on anybody that, like, hey, you know, they still need these other positions. Why not consider that person? Again, if you trade down, that's another story. Now, trading down, to me, again, I don't think it's a crazy idea. It all depends on what they think of Drake May and Jaden Daniels. But to a degree, what else are the other options? Now, I have J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback out of Michigan, going 8 to the Falcons. That's a bit higher than I think you probably see a lot of others right now, but I do, there's definitely some, I don't want to say momentum, but there's definitely an acknowledgement I've heard from a few different people that McCarthy is closer to those other three quarterbacks than people realize. Um, Randy Mueller is a big fan. We had Randy on the other day. You can check that podcast out. I thought that was a really good conversation. So you could trade down, right? 
and have a shot perhaps at McCarthy. And again, the idea would be some team is trading up for a quarterback. You trade back, you get a first round pick, not just swapping this year, but perhaps next year and the year after that, maybe, or some combat, if, if not two additional firsts, maybe it's a combination of a bunch of other picks. I, I think like a trade from two to say eight, if the Falcons wanted to move up, you know, Again, when they traded for RG3, they swapped first-round picks and Washington gave up two more firsts and a second. If, if that's the baseline for a trade, well, then is that is that worth discussing? Is that worth thinking about? Could you get, therefore, like, say, J.J. McCarthy at 8? Or, at 8, take one of the offensive tackles and at the top of the second round take a Michael Penix Jr. or a Bo Nix. Again, don't take what I'm saying here as saying this is what I would do. It's just saying I got to look at the whole board to to solidify what I'm thinking. And as long as they like Drake May or Jaden Daniels, if that's the option, it's probably the most simple path to go there. But if they think, I don't know, I don't want to force this, then I'm saying the trade down could be uh, the way to go. Um, I've got Brock Bowers, the tight end from Georgia, at number 12. Now he's more of that. You know, sort of Travis Kelsey type of tight end where he's more receiver than sort of an old school tight end. Um, he could go as high as five, I think, to the Chargers or six to the Giants. But I or maybe not the Giants, but he could go somewhere pretty high up there. Uh, I just think ultimately, though, when we get closer to the situation, teams tend to shy away from the value of, the, of that position. Tight end is just not a position that gets paid a lot. I heard Daniel Jeremiah talk about this the other day that the reason why Bowers may ultimately slip is where we talk about Drake May being a good value for for a price for a quarterback because, um, you know, it's going to be a lot cheaper than it would be for a quarterback who's been paid, a veteran, right? Tight end, not a huge difference, right? Tight ends are just not paid nearly as high as receivers, and therefore the, the, the benefit of getting a Brock Bowers does not help teams as much in that regard. I think that's an interesting point. That's why I dropped him to 12. Um, I had, uh, going back into the top 10, Malik Neighbors, LSU, wide receiver going to the Giants. Uh, Olufushanu, offensive tackle, Penn State, going to the Titans. I mentioned McCarthy. Rome Odunze from Washington, a wide receiver going to the Bears at 9. Fuaga, offensive tackle, going to the Jets at 10. Uh, there are a bunch of cornerbacks and offensive linemen in this first round. I think that for Washington, you know, they, beyond quarterback, you know, they need a lot of the other core positions for a team. Offensive line, edge rusher, cornerback, all of these things. And that's not even mentioning linebacker, tight end, a potential Antonio Gibson replacement, a potential Curtis Samuel replacement, and so on. But here, there are, I've got a bunch of cornerbacks going off the board, starting with Terrion Arnold, the cornerback from Alabama, going 13 to the Raiders. Uh, but others, several others make the list. Same with offensive line. Now, in terms of Washington's second-round pick, they, they pick at 36 and 40. From the way I see the board, they should be in a good position to get offensive line help. Now, I have them going with Patrick Paul, 
massive tackle out of Houston, who is the brother of guard Chris Paul. Um, for the moment, that's a good story, so I'm going with it. <laughs> um, but he's uh, Patrick Paul from everybody I've talked to. You know, he's definitely could go in the first round. I don't think the 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 order of the offensive lineman is set at all, so he could go in the round in round one. But needless to say, at you know they need to get some help on the line there. For what it's worth, even if you kept Leno, you know I could make an argument that maybe the move is you draft a Patrick Paul, put him at right tackle, take Andrew Wiley, move him to left guard. I, I don't know that Andrew Wiley would be would be thrilled with that, but it's something to. Um, consider at least that type of that type of thought i do based on their cap numbers unless they're post june one cuts i don't know that i see andrew wiley getting cut maybe maybe that works for nick gates but we will have to see how that goes now here's the the rub i think the defensive end is going to be a problem Um, i wrote about this as part of the story i have but if you look at the edge rushers available, I'm looking at, say, Dane, our guy, Dane Brugler's rankings. It's a pretty thin class. A guy I'm going to really keep an, an eye on is Chop Robinson from Penn State. I have him going late in the first round. He's been, when when I've seen other rankings or mocks, he is right here at the end of first, early second. If he goes off the board, in terms of Dane Brugler's um, mock, there is, like, almost nobody... Uh, even close to this range, you'd have to drop down into the 50s. Now, I have Washington here taking uh, Marshall Nealon, defensive end from Western Michigan. Uh, also debated Braylon Trice, defensive end from Washington, who I liked watching um, when I was at the Washington-Utah game this year when the commanders played at uh, Seahawks. Uh, either of those guys would be would be good, but it is getting to be like the last options is, is sort of my point. Um Trice is the more polished player. I had somebody was telling me he liked Trice over Neyland, but Neyland's got some really interesting uh, potential. Was to, so had had a source tell me gave me a pretty intriguing comp that I'm gonna only tease you with and not mention. But um, I'm I'm curious to see what it, what what he uh, what to make of him this week. But my point is that. Whereas I think offensive tackle or offensive line, they should be in a good position to grab somebody there. The defensive end, the edge rushers, is going to be a challenge. So just something to keep in mind. Uh, Maybe this means they have to do more in free agency. As we know, the only defensive ends they really have right now on the roster are K.J. Henry and Andre Jones. And they might be rotation pieces, but that's not starters. So whether they re-sign a Smith-Williams or Casey Tuhill... They've got to get some more help. So hopefully, if they really see this, uh, you know, as as what they need a, a need that they've got to fix, then if they're lucky, one somebody here will be available in the second. But it's going to be a thin group. The other players that I took a look at here: one linebacker, uh, junior Colson from Michigan, Mike linebacker, explosive player. Needless to say, they haven't had a legit Mike linebacker in, in a bit. Uh, that would be to me something, you know, of note. I know linebacker has been is become a de-emphasized position, but you still have guys in the league who are very, very good at that spot. And at, right now, Washington has Jamin Davis, and that's basically it on the roster. Uh, the other one was Jatavian Sanders, tight end out of Texas. Uh, tight end is even thinner 
than the defensive end. You get past Brock Bowers and Sanders, based on Dane Brugler's list, is like the only tight end listed in like about the top 70, and Dane only had four tight ends total in his top 100. So maybe it's you know something you can get later, but as we know, whether Logan Thomas stays or not, the group needs some help. You know, maybe Armani Rogers comes back and gives them uh, an intriguing option, but that's you know we'll see how that goes uh, there for sure. All right, um, and then just I did jump ahead to the third round. I drafted for Washington Jalen Polk, a six-two wide receiver out of Washington. Um, if they're going to take receiver, and there's a bunch of receivers you can look at. But if you're going to go receiver, I, I would just kind of hope they get somebody who gives you a different look than Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dodson, guys who are about 5'11", 6 foot. Um, they're, you know, they're very similar stylistically. And and Curtis Samuel, maybe not exactly the same style. Style He's more of that, you know, uh, non-positional scat back playmaking receiver type guy. But they need something else there. Now, at a minimum, they're going to have to replace Samuel if he doesn't come back. Uh, but, the, you know, again, I would like some size. And, and Polk, um, you know, he's in this range. Uh, you know, there's, again, there's always other guys you could consider. Jaden Hicks, a safety out of Washington State. Ricky Pearsall, uh, heard some really good things about him, but he is kind of in that same, you know, six-foot range. So just to try to do some variance, I didn't go with him. Theo Johnson, tight end from Penn State. Is a name that could go off the board here. Dominic Pooney, a guard from Kansas. So some other names here that I pondered that I either have going off the board already or in that general range. So long way to go, but I did, like I said, just wanted to go through a few of these pieces just to get a sense. Like I said, the defensive ends, I pushed a bunch of defensive ends up on the board uh, for me because... It's such a key position. There's just not a lot of names out there. So um, something to consider here for sure. All right. Um, let's do this. Oh, and just one other thing before we get to Danny Kelly. So Adam Peters and Dan Quinn will be speaking this week. Adam Peters is talking Tuesday. Uh, don't quote me on the exact time. It's like 12, uh, about 1230 on Tuesday. Dan Quinn is talking later in the day. Uh, we will get them at the podium as well as on the side with the local reporters. Uh, for Peters in particular, I am just curious to see what he does up there. First time he will be in this position, how does he handle the situation? Um, is he loosey-goosey? Is he very tight? Does he offer anything? Is he candid at all? Is he just give a lot of, you know, nuclear type answers that don't tell us much? Whatever it is, we will see and try to get a feel for him on, um, you know, we're past the introductory point. Now what? What's the plan? We'll see what we can get out of him and Dan Quinn this week. All right. Um, let's do now my conversation with Danny Kelly. He'll give us the guy uh, from the perspective of somebody who is really breaking down tape on these top players who are some of the guys he likes on day two. And where is he at on the Drake May, Jaden Daniels? Caleb Williams, J.J. McCarthy front at the quarterback. Let's do that right now here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, we have talked a ton here on this podcast about what Washington's options are, too, with all these quarterbacks. But it's important to remember the draft goes seven rounds. The commanders have nine picks. They have six in the top 102, five on the first two days. So what else is going on here? And that's, of course, something we'll be looking at 
next week at the Combine, or maybe it's this week at the Combine if I post this on Monday. In any event, here to help us get through that is a guy who will be at the Combine, who does a great job covering the NFL Draft for The Ringer, and he's a co-host of the Ringer Fantasy Football Show and Ringer NFL Draft Show, Danny Kelly, Mr. Seattle himself. Uh, how uh, <laughs> how are things up there in the uh, great Northwest? Uh, right now, pretty cold and dreary, um, but we're starting to get closer to the good weather, so that's good. I, I'm I'm definitely ready for the the dull gray drab winter to be over. But other than that, things are great. I'm with you on that. I I <laughs> when we went to Seattle this year, I already forget when it, when when that was, but for uh for Washington against the Seahawks, uh, weather wasn't bad. I mean, uh, it it, did, it didn't have the perpetual rain it was so little but it, you know the, the, the view and we got to go to a huskies game which was that's an amazing oh, that's, s- setup oh yeah that's great that's awesome glad you got to experience that that's a sweet stadium yeah i would if you told me like you know back i was gonna go cover the huskies like that's my job I'm like oh i get to hang out here the beach <laughs> fedex field i'll just say <laughs> yeah that's true um all right we're gonna get to talk about the draft and i'm gonna ask Danny about his uh thoughts on two but i, I did i do want to ask you this because you are a, a you are a noted Seattle Seahawks guy. It's amazing the Seahawks Twitter mafia. There's a lot of you on there that I seem to like follow. Like I had Ben Baldwin on my podcast the other day, and even though he nice. lives here in D.C. area, he's a Seahawks guy. Uh, obviously, Mina Kimes is out there, and you're out there. What? What? Uh, so there was a battle at the end. Who's getting? I, I don't know if it was for Washington. It was more like who's getting? Well, first it was like who's getting Ben Johnson. Then it's who's getting Mike McDonald, and then it's like right. wait, how come you guys didn't want Dan Quinn? <laughs> do, do, do you, uh, what, what, what were you rooting for during all that? Um, yeah, I was definitely rooting for something new and exciting. You know, I think Ben Johnson and, and Mike McDonald were like two clear favorites. I, I, I will admit, like, I wanted Ben Johnson because I just think from a long term team building point of view, having an offensive guy kind of locked in long term makes more sense just sure. because then you don't have to cycle through offensive coordinators. It, it, you know, the partnership between quarterback and coach is so important for any team. And so that was kind of why I was like on the Ben Johnson train, but ultimately I'm super excited about the Mike McDonald thing. And just because, you know, he's completely different in, in a lot of ways than Pete Carroll, you know, he's young, he, he's the youngest coach in the NFL. Now Pete Carroll was the oldest and, you know, I think just new ideas, the new scheme, something exciting to talk about. I think the, the reason a lot of, I think, you know, SEC fans have good, opinion of dan quinn i don't think they dislike him or anything like that but i think it was just like why would we fire pete carroll and then hire his like guy yeah like it's like why fire pete carroll if you're just gonna hire essentially the same guy um so i think that was mostly what it was and then of course there was also just like the bad taste coming off like um you know the the way that the cowboys played near the end of the season um you know just like it was hard to like look at that and be like oh yeah this is the guy we want like designing our defense and things like that i think it was just mostly like recency bias obviously he's done a really good job with with what the cowboys have done over the last couple years and he's he's changed like to his credit he's changed he's not really running a quote-unquote Pete carroll defense anymore um so you know i think we would have talked ourselves into the whole dan quinn thing if it did happen but i think really the crux of it is we just wanted something new you know um you you basically just sent several people listening here to to find a bottle of something because this is the you, you, like you just described the the the, le, the 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 cycle that everybody here went through. It was like, oh, cool, let's get something new. You know, I had Ron Rivera, this old you know, older defensive coach. Let's right. get something new and fresh. Oh, Ben Johnson, wait, you're hiring a guy who is 
I, I wouldn't compare Dan Quinn and Ron Rivera per se, but generally same type of profile and it's not new and talk yourself into it, but all right, we, we, everybody's moved on, right? Everybody's happy. Everybody's good. <laughs> Dan, and Dan Quinn is, I think it is what you said. It's just, it's just not exciting. It's right. Could be really good. You know, it's, it's like the difference between, Hey, let's go buy a new car. Here's a Porsche. And then here's a brand new uh, Toyota Camry. Now, <laughs> The well, camera will, yeah. will do the job. It's great car. Right. But. All right. So we'll, we'll, we'll move off the head coach. Everybody's moving on. Washington's got a whole new staff. You guys are putting together a staff. All good. Now, the draft is upon us. And, you know, one reason I imagine that Mike McDonald thought that Seattle was a better fit for him beyond any money or contract was, hey, they've got a good defense. They've got a lot of young pieces. And they're much closer to being in the playoff mix than a team that just won four games. Uh, so Washington has a lot of holes to, to fill it. It won't just get all solved because of they take a quarterback at two. They've got, I mean, I, it, it would take me longer than the time we have allotted to go through all their needs here for Washington. So the question is, well, how do they fill a lot of them? They've got a bunch of cap space. The league just announced right before we jumped on here that they're the, the 2024 cap space is getting bumped up by 30 million, but yeah, Every every team, the core of a team is the draft. So I want to get a feel from you of where you see some of the strengths and weaknesses are and how Washington might be able to fill some of their needs. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's start with this. You may have heard they gave up a few sacks last year. <laughs> so they're yeah. going to need to up some uh, offensive line upgrades. Uh, realistically, only Sam Cosme at right guard is, I would say, secure at, at his spot. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's talk about the tackles. The, uh, the, there's a few guys who are going to go, it looks like, in the top 10. Um, uh, here's the game we're gonna play. We're gonna call. I'm just making this up. Race or pace? You tell me if they Washington in the second round needs to race to get this get this position, or if they can pace themselves because you think there's good enough depth that um, they can p- potentially wait. Yeah, that's a great question. I think they don't have to. I don't think they have to panic and you know trade up necessarily or 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 any of that because there's there's I think probably like ten to fifteen like really solid starting caliber. Uh, tackles and guards in this draft class it's pretty it's pretty wild honestly and there's a couple of good centers as well early on in the draft um you know you go down the list of even like once you get past the top like four or five guys you got players like tyler guyton from oklahoma who has incredible potential in terms of his athletic traits um kingsley sua mataya from byu is a guy that's really been growing on me a lot lately uh jordan morgan from arizona he has like tackle guard potential patrick paul from houston huge huge frame um the list goes on like there was a bunch of guys down in mobile when we went down there last a couple of weeks ago um and and i think a lot of them really impressed even this guy roger rosengarden from washington i thought was really good he was kind of i think considered a late round pick and and he's i think pushed his stock up into like the second or third round because he just looks so athletic and so light on his feet um blocking on the edge so i haven't even honestly like made my way all the way through this tackle class yet there's still so many guys to get to um but i think that is one of the strongest position groups in this draft by far because there's just a lot of guys that look like potential future starters maybe not superstar type tackles but starting caliber players um to plug into lineup so um if you're in the if you're in need of a, a tackle and i think most teams are um, this is a great class for that. I think there's a lot of guys and there's a lot of guys that can play multiple positions too. So you have, you have some tackles that could play guard. You have some guards that could play center and vice versa. Um, so in terms of like filling out an offensive line, I think this class in particular has a potential to, if not in 2024 in 2025 and beyond, like really help out a lot of offensive lines across the NFL. 
I, I don't know if you've looked at this, so don't feel pressure to make something up if you haven't. But obviously, there's been talk in the last few years about how offensive linemen coming out of college are not arriving with the needed skills for the right. league. Have you have right. you sensed? Because it used to be drafts offensive linemen, plug and play, you're good to go. Have you noticed like how what the trend is in terms of these guys being able to come in and play right away? I mean, I know it's an individual thing, but just broadly, yeah. can you? What's your sense of that? I mean, I think it's it, it is uh, it's for sure a thing where you know I think you see it in in college with, with a lot of these air raid offenses and just spread out offenses. Like number one, the splits are really wide. The types of pass sets they're doing are different than what they're probably going to be doing in the NFL. And I think the big thing is they're just not run blocking as much as uh, you're going to be doing in the NFL. So that like the types of blocks that they're asking these players to make is is largely different than what they're going to be asked to do in the NFL. That being said, like the gap is closing between the NFL and college football in terms of like schemes. So it's like, there's more, right. you know, overlap, I think, than there, there used to be. So, you know, I think again, it is not to sit on the fence, but it is an individual thing. I think that what you're really looking for is like traits with these guys and then coach them up. So how much, how, how light their feet are, how much they can move, um, how they use their hands, how strong they are. Um, you know, if they can react to getting initially beat off the snap. So like, say if they lose a step, how do they react and how do they kind of like salvage that snap? How that, how they salvage that rep. I think those are a lot of things I look at because you can't, it's not like a one-to-one thing with, with most of these players where you're like, Oh yeah, this guy's going to plug right into so-and-so's offense and be fine. It's, it's more just like, what are the traits? What, how much length do they have? What are the athletic um, attributes and, and kind of try and plug it there, plug it in from there. And so, yeah, it is a huge, it's a huge projection. It's kind of like, quarterback honestly it's you know you look for traits you look for guys that can move and um you hope that you can coach them up but that's again i think that is why a lot of the time you have to kind of expect a a longer learning curve with tackles and that's why i said if not 2024 like 2025 and beyond like maybe this class will have a big impact but early on you could see guys with some growing pains just because you're starting to you, you know learn essentially playing a new position yeah no for uh for for sure so um yeah, so that'll be interesting to see what what they do there, or really any of these teams. You know, how how do they draft the guy high, and then if so, are they immediately looking for that player to get in there, or do they think they need a grooming period? And then if so, what does that mean in Washington's case? You keep a guy like Charles Leno with a big cap hit. Um, they have the room, but nonetheless, that that type of, of thing. All right, so uh, that'll be something to be interesting to dive into as we get into the combine and beyond. Let's go to the other side of the ball. It's so funny, you know, for the past three or four years, if you were going to define Washington's team on the field, you would have said their defensive line, right? Four first round picks, all a lot of potential, all, all various levels of intrigue. And now they have, when I say they don't have any defensive ends, I mean that almost <laughs> literally, because not only did they trade Montez Sweat and Chase Young, their next three defensive ends who played the most uh, are all free agents. All they really have left is the guys who were picked in the fifth and seventh round last year. So they are completely devoid of, of anything there. And we know that pass rushers go for a lot in free agency. So I'm sure everybody here is going to hope that you're going to say, oh, don't worry. There's a lot of guys who will be there on day two. And then I look at my guy, Dane Brugler's top 100. Mm-hmm. He has uh, five guys in the top 31. And then the next one is number 51. Yeah. And then it really kind of dro- goes from there. Is this is the edge rusher class just not that strong this year? 
Yeah, I would say that's accurate. I would I, I would say like there's definitely a few guys in the first round. Um, but you know, of course that doesn't help the commanders necessarily. And and um I do think there's a pretty strong drop off after you get past that first group. There's a couple of guys like worth taking a flyer on potentially. Um Marshawn Nealon from Western Kentucky, uh Braylon Trice from Washington kind of come to mind. A couple of players, Adisa Isaac from Penn state. I just wrote up and I thought he was pretty impressive, or at least he has traits that could, you know, translate to the NFL and, and you could develop them. But I, I would say there's not like a lot of guys in that group who look like plug and play starters from day one outside of the first round guys. So, um, you know, there's always, there's always players that have interesting traits that you can kind of look to develop, but yeah, I'd say the, the edge rusher class outside it, it's top heavy. Um, and after you get past those like first five or six guys, it, it kind of is like pick your flavor. What are you looking for? What type of player are you looking for? Um, so I would say you have to go, go early. On the other hand, I, I do like the defensive tackle class. I think there's some interesting guys, um, both at like nose tackle and uh, like the three tech type players, the the big defensive ends um, that can come in and play. Um, but, you know, from pure pass rushing, edge rushing type, type of point of view, I, I wouldn't say this is a strong class. I don't know if you've gotten to these guys yet, but a couple guys that sort of I'm have my eye on one Braylon Trice uh, from mm-hmm. Washington. When I was at the Washington game this year, and had a lot of obviously NFL talent on the roster, but he was somebody that stood out to me and Dane has him sort yeah. of in the fifties. So yeah, it's all relative. And Washington has picks 36 and 40, and then they have the early third. So maybe he's in there somewhere. And then Chris Braswell from Alabama at yeah. the senior bowl, yeah. He was sort of like the defensive player that they kind of uh, highlighted with Bo Nix on the offensive side. Any feel for either of those guys in, and then specifically on day two? Yeah, I think, you know, Trice is an interesting one because his like his pat. I, I was looking this up the other day, his pass pass rush win rate. That's hard to say. Pass rush <laughs> win rate. Um, according to PFF on, on the true pass sets is really outstanding. He's really good. Like he has a he has a natural feel for like getting off of blocks and and discarding, um you know tackles hands and and getting kind of through that. But I think he, there's going to be limitations there with like his overall length and explosiveness, and he's not going to be necessarily the traitsiest player. He just kind of gets the job done type of guy. I think that's probably why he's going to be more like a second or third round type player. Um, but I, I, Trice in particular kind of stands out to me as like he's he's maybe the the really good day two value who isn't going to jump off the screen from an athletic and, and traits point of view, but just kind of is a really good player, if that makes sense. So I think he's definitely the guy um, that jumps out to me. I haven't dug too deep into Braswell's tape yet. I watched, you know, my first pass. I was like, this guy looks pretty solid. I can understand like why people are kind of interested in him, but he doesn't, he doesn't like pop off the tape to me kind of deal, you know? And so, um, you know, he might probably like a day two, day three guy as well. Um, so, you know, like, again, I'm still making my way through these. I, I know some people like Jonah Ellis or Ellis from Utah, um, but he's he's not super tall. So there, I think with all these guys, like there's production and there's trait and, and um, you know technique things. But every every one of these guys in the second or third round has something that's kind of like oh, he's just you know not going to be like a superstar type player. So um, again, it's 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 kind of like picking your flavor and figuring out what what type of traits you're looking for. But I I do think. Trice is probably the most interesting day two pass rusher. Um, you I mentioned before you are a fantasy football talker, so let me ask you about some fantasy football dudes. Um, I, 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 Washington doesn't have a screaming need at running back, but if they don't bring back Antonio Gibson, they don't have that 
it's almost weird to call him a change of pace guy because he's not really that either. But, you know, a guy who's, right. who's, who can catch the ball out of the backfield and so on. They've got two hammers in Brian Robinson and Chris Rodriguez. Again, using Dane's guide here, the 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 first running back he has listed is number 70 Yeah, on his list. And uh, a guy like Blake Corm from Michigan, they're 73 and so on. Uh, is this a, is this running back group is like anybody of you, you know, again, fantasy football, I think, boy, I can't wait to see this guy in the pros. Is there, is there <laughs> yeah. other guys like that this year, especially those change of pace kind of guys? Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's a couple guys actually. Um, if you're looking for someone that's not going to be in, in that, uh, that Brian Robinson, Chris Rodriguez mold, the first person that comes to mind for me is Bucky Irving from, uh, Oregon, who is a little bit undersized, but very explosive, breaks a lot of tackles. Um, you know, I think has the potential to be good in the passing games. He he's definitely undersized, uh, but again, if you're looking for like a space player, a guy who can get you explosive plays, I think he's a potential option there. Um, you know, you mentioned Blake Corum. I think he's just like an all around good player. And Jalen Wright is the other guy that's gotten a lot of attention lately. I think if you look at his tape and you watch his runs, you're like, this is one of the most explosive players in college football. He's so twitchy. His acceleration is incredible. He's a big play merchant. He just goes out there and makes big plays. But then you also have to kind of keep in mind he's playing for Tennessee, which is this wonky offense with super, super wide splits with their receivers. And they just kind of like they do stuff that hardly any NFL teams do. So he's he's seeing a lot of like six man boxes. It's not really translatable to the NFL, his his, uh, his production and what he's done at Tennessee. But that being said, I love his traits. I think he's really, really explosive and just get downfield in a split second, you know, exploit if, if a, if a defender, a defensive player makes a bad angle, like he can really exploit that. So I think Jalen Wright in the right system is going to be really fun. I just don't know if he's ever going to be like a bell cow type guy where you're, you're giving him a bunch of carries. He didn't, he didn't do that in college either. So, um, but he's, he to me is like one of the players to watch on, on draft weekend because I think he has the talent and the and the burst and, and explosiveness to be really exciting in fantasy football, but it just kind of depends on where he lands. All right, yeah, I'll be you know that that as we know, running back is not one of those positions where you have to. In there, I've already lost the bit, the race or pace thing. You can generally pace yourself <laughs> with the the running backs, but at the same point, as we saw last year with you know Jameer Gibbs, he, the, the 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 notion of overvaluing is relative to. I think what type of team you are. If you're a team that needs, you know, can win right away, those guys are incredibly valuable and cheap. I mean, Jameer Gibbs was obviously a, a massive player for Detroit, and you know, right. Bijan Robinson was pretty good. Atlanta just their their quarterback situation slowed that down. But with Washington not having coming off a four win season, they shouldn't. They need to get another running back, but they don't need to to force the issue. So right. it, you know, right. the fact that there's maybe more day two, day three depth at that position is actually probably a good thing. I yep. would think. Yeah. for them um have you dug into the tight ends much uh i've dug into the top few guys for sure i think this is a very sparse tight end group this year i think there's like you know two pretty interesting guys and then a few other randos but like brock bowers and jadavian uh, jatavian sanders from texas are like the two main ones um and then you have i think a bunch of other guys that could be role players in the nfl but not necessarily like you know big name big play type guys it, it is I've been screaming for them to upgrade their tight end situation for basically the whole time of Ron Rivera's era. And they kind of yeah. largely, I mean, like Logan Thomas was, was a good find for them, but then he got hurt and, you know, he, he's fine, but they need more explosiveness. And um, they just didn't, you know, Cole Turner hasn't worked out for them. Um, Jatavian Sanders, uh, Dane has him at number 50. 
Um, he and then there's nobody else till number seventy six. So, like like you said, it's a pretty sparse group. What what about him? What type of tight end is he? And is that somebody? If you're like one of those early second round picks, does that get you know? Is he enough of a difference maker to maybe take a little bit of a flyer on a guy like that? Yeah, I think there's there's some people that really like him. I I watched him recently and. I didn't get I I wasn't wowed necessarily with what he was doing, but I think he's kind of one of these guys that he has some uh, versatility in terms of like way, way that you can line him up in the offense and um, move him around the formation. He's kind of more of like a move tight end. That's not saying he can't block, but he he has the athleticism to you know run routes and catch passes and be a dynamic threat in the passing game. I think that's what's exciting about him. Um, you know, this is a former big time recruit. I know that Texas fans think he, you know, he he's like a, a blue guy for their team, a big time, um, you know, like tone setting type player for their offense. And so that like, I would say like, you know, if Brock Bowers is not there after the first like 50 or 16 picks, he's he's probably going to be the next guy taken. Um, Jatavian Sanders. And, and, and again, he's kind of like he reminds me a little bit of like a Brevin Jordan type player. So I, obviously um, Jordan came on strong late for the for the Texans this season, but he's, he's a little bit undersized, but has some explosiveness to him, has some route running ability to him really good in contested catch situations. Um, but you know, I, I wouldn't say he like really wowed me necessarily either. I'm not like, you know, going to try and reach for this guy in late first round or, or even the second round, probably. Right. If I don't, uh, if Washington were to trade down and not take a quarterback, which is obviously a scenario that seems a highly weird and obviously Offensive tackle would be a thing. I'm, I'm so intrigued by the idea of Brock Bowers. Oh my god! Because they need yeah. they need height at receiver, and they like I said they, they don't want much of tight end. They, I mean, it's probably too much of a luxury for a team to take, um, like Washington. But at the same point, boy, I, I'm I'm super intrigued if uh, that played out that way. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Before I let you go, let me go, let's get to the quarterbacks. This is whatever, sure. of course, everybody wants to get into. Um. We can assume that Caleb is going to go one, so maybe that's not in play for Washington. But I guess for you, I'm just wondering. Between you look at the top six quarterbacks, if you want, that includes Bo Nix and, and Michael Penix. I don't mean necessarily for two, but I am kind of curious, like, where do you what's your view of like how these guys are, are ranked? Like how many of them are on the, 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 the one tier? What's the gap between tiers? Like, where do you kind of have those top six guys right now? I have for me, it's Caleb Williams is in his own tier. I just think his traits are so incredibly special. Um, obviously, there is no prospect is perfect. And there are concerns about like some of the ways that he plays the, um, you know, out of structure stuff that he sort of tends to lean on. I think there's definitely concerns with that. And then he's not the tallest guy, six one. So that's, you know, his ability to throw over the middle of the field is going to be a question mark kind of coming into his career. And, and there's certainly some question marks there, but um, I just think he's a special talent in terms of his ability to throw the football, his ability to scramble buy himself extra time to make plays. Um, and then I would have J Drake may, just below that in terms of the second tier. And I think he's another guy who has really special traits and just kind of needs to put it all together. He's obviously much bigger and stronger and, and a really physical guy. I think he has an awesome arm. Um, he is, he has some, I think underrated out of structure playmaking brilliance. And then Jaden Daniels, again, just, it, it, it's sort of one, two, three for me. I, I, I would, I have a pretty clear in my mind that Williams may, and then Daniels is like the third tier. And then from there you have fourth tier with like, JJ McCarthy, Penix, and Knicks all kind of bunched together, depending on what you want, what kind of offense you have, uh, what you have at quarterback already. Like, it, are, are you going to try and develop these guys? Do you want them to start right away? Because um, I think JJ McCarthy has a ton of potential. He's just sort of, 
you know, he's more of the type of guy that you could develop over the long term because he's like 20, 21 years old. And so obviously his development arc is still going up. Whereas like Penix and Knicks are guys that 24 years old as a rookie, you, know, you probably don't want to try and develop these guys for too long. And honestly, they may not have a much, much room to develop just based on the fact that, that both of these guys have played in college for like five, six years. So, you know, I, I think it just depends on what you're looking for in that tier. So for me, it's real. It's a real clear delineation of Williams, May, and then Daniels, and then you got the three other guys. You're totally right about a 24 year old or so coming into the NFL already feeling like we may have seen his ceiling point as an old right. guy. That's so depressing that like a, a 24 year old like that. Ah, we kind of we kind of know where it is. It's like wow. Yeah. All right. That. Yeah, I feel you. Um. um on the Drake May front, you mentioned the uh, the age of, of uh, McCarthy. So he's 21, turns 22 in August. He has like half the starts that Jaden Daniels had. He only started the two years at Carolina after, you know, replacing Sam Howell, of course, whereas Daniels has like double those stats. Um, I'm a huge advocate of not rushing a rookie quarterback. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying go full Green Bay and, and have him sit for three, three years, years. Yeah, yeah. but I would absolutely be down with sitting a guy for a year and considering Drake May's, you know, again, young age relative to these other guys and the, right. the somewhat lack of experience, I guess, what do you think about for him specifically, the idea of maybe giving him that red shirt year, or do you, have you seen enough to think, you know what, sure, there'll be bumps in the road for like any rookie, but I think he could go in and play pretty quickly. I mean, yeah, I think in a, in a perfect world, it is better to wait. I, I You know, obviously there's, there's, two schools of thought on this it's like you can only learn by playing and you can only get better by playing right and then the other school of thought is you know you're gonna you're gonna put your quarterback in a much better position if he knows the playbook inside and out he knows the language he knows the terminology he can just do it all as second nature instead of like trying to like uh panic think through the play call am i communicating this correctly there's just like a million things to do from a quarterback perspective and throwing a guy out there immediately and having to do all that stuff in in addition to just actually playing the game i think it's making their job so much harder and you can really kind of like damage number one like their confidence and their reputation if they play poorly to start and that's never a good thing and obviously like patrick mahomes like the greatest quarterback maybe ever or second only to tom brady he sat for his first year and i think that was like the absolute ideal situation because he went to a team that was already good already contending had a good supporting cast you know had an elite receiver and tight end and he hit the ground running and the rest is history that's the ideal situation of course that's not possible for every team but if if you know drake may or whoever even caleb williams like if they sat for a year and like i said really got the playbook down hat so they just were doing it all second nature all the like like bureaucratic administrative stuff that goes into quarterbacking just like relaying the the play call to your teammates and getting everybody in position if that is more second nature then you can go out there and like actually play and and see the field a little bit better instead of trying to like panic and make sure you're doing all that stuff so i think in a perfect world and then of course you can build around him over a year you can get some free agents in you can build some chemistry with receivers you can do all that stuff that really does like find edges in the nfl um, and I think you're setting that guy up for much more success if you do that. But the problem is, you know, with whoever takes these guys in the first couple of picks, none of them have that sort of, I think, luxury of doing a bridge year. Maybe you could see that with, with the commanders if they bring in somebody. To like if they kept bridge. Jacoby Brissett, you know, that type of deal. Yeah, they could see that. And like, obviously, you know, the Chargers and I, I've comped Drake May to Justin Herbert. I think stylistically, they're pretty similar in terms of like, 
their body size, their throwing ability. I would, you know, I think Herbert's probably got a better arm, but like they both have good arms and athleticism out of play or out of structure, you know, playmaking ability. I think the plan originally for the chargers was like, let's just take it slow, whatever. And then Tyra Taylor got stabbed in his, in his, uh, lung and then they had to go yeah by to... by by a, by, a, by a training <laughs> by, by a team staffer yeah. or trainer guy not not like a randomly guy. Right, right. yes so that was obviously not part of the plan of course herbert came in and looked awesome and the rest is history and you know uh maybe they shouldn't have been going slow with him because he obviously came in and, and proved that he could like handle it but um i think the plan initially was for him to do that and, and i think it's a it's a solid plan but you know, it's just hard in the NFL these days because um, you want to maximize the rookie contract. Of course, that's a big part of it. And just the fans clamoring for the next guy is, is always so such a loud thing from the fans. It's it's hard for coaches to ignore. It. It's hard for the ownership to ignore that and, yeah. and like, you know, push that noise to the back. So, again, sh- long story short, it's ideal. I think the ideal situation would be for these guys to sit, but it's just like not very common. It doesn't happen. It, it, it takes a lot of discipline and yeah. you know when the ticket buying public is screaming to you to not have that discipline it's it's hard to uh ignore that i i totally get it all right last question for you so you mentioned the the um well so with reg- in the context of like all these quarterbacks that we just discussed the likely scenario is washington stays at two but there is a clamoring hey if you really like caleb williams who is a dc guy you got to go make that move. Of course, I don't know if the Bears would even uh, entertain it, but if they did, it would cost a ton. Right. On the flip side, we just discussed this team has an insane amount of needs. I didn't even run through them all with you a few minutes ago. And like you said, maybe it makes sense to build up the roster to then when you plug in that quarterback, and this is something Ron Rivera talked about but didn't quite execute properly. You, In other words, if you traded down and got a, a big haul back, like the either like something like the Bears got last year or the what Washington gave up to get RG three, you could go a long way towards right. helping that thing. So if you have to pick one, you trade up a ton of stuff to go get Caleb Williams, or you trade back, and depending on where you trade back, you either then can go get a JJ McCarthy or Penix or Knicks if you really go deeper. If you had to pick one, and again, you're also getting all the picks in that regard. If you had to pick one for this team, which, which way would you go? Um, if I had to choose between trading up and trading back versus just standing pat, I would probably say trade back. Um, I just think like, you know, obviously I love Caleb Williams, but it's going to cost a lot. It's going to cost a lot to trade up even one spot. And, you know, we kind of saw this with the Panthers last year. And I'm not saying that, that Bryce Young is as good as Caleb Williams. I think Caleb Williams is significantly better. Um, but man, Bryce, Bryce Young just did not have a shot because they had no talent around him. You know what I mean? And it was like, they threw him into this, into the fire with, you know, their best, his best receivers, like a 32 year old Adam Thielen. Um, They missed on some of their other options. Like uh, Mingo was not good. They picked him in the second round. Like he, he was one of the worst rookie receivers um, in recent memory in terms of like his production and and performance. And so, man, you gotta have, I I feel like you gotta have some talent around him. Obviously, you know, Washington has McLaurin and, 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 you know, Dotson has been a big disappointment, but um, so there is some talent there, but I don't think they're really set up to set They're They're not set up to, you know, create a situation where Caleb Williams is going to have a ton of success early on. And I feel like trading up and giving away valuable picks and, and things like that to, 
it, it's a big, big gamble. So in, in my mind, it probably makes more sense to trade back, build the team around, take your take your shot on maybe JJ McCarthy. JJ McCarthy would probably make a lot of sense, honestly, for this team. Well, um, it, I, I will be curious. I'll you know see you uh next week and hopefully we'll talk uh uh, more, but like it does sound like, and I've mentioned this now a couple times, that JJ McCarthy, maybe some people think he may be closer to the top. I had Randy Mueller on here the other day, and he was saying that um, he, he's more of a McCarthy guy than a Drake May guy. But I, I think most people are kind of where you're at, um, so that'll be interesting to uh, to see uh, for sure. All right, fantastic job as always. This is why we like having you on. Uh, tell everybody what they need, where they what they can find of you right now, and when your all your draft uh, goodness is coming out. Yeah, so you can check out my draft guide at nfldraft.theringer.com, I believe. Let me double-check that. Um, uh, but, yeah, check out theringer.com, obviously, the Ringer Fantasy Football Show, which is now turning into the Ringer NFL Draft Show for a period of time until the draft is over. And you can find me on Twitter at Danny B. Kelly. And it is nfldraft.theringer.com, yes. And if you talk to, to Danny, like, you know, interact with him, you're like, you know, be nice because he's got to deal with Danny Heifetz, and, like, that is <laughs> – just being around Danny for a film for the, the limited times I am at like at the senior bowl and stuff. It's a lot. It's a lot. That's all I'm going to say. It's a lot. So, totally. you, you know, you got to rein that in. Love, love Heifetz, love Heifetz, but yeah, he's, he's look, high, he's a high energy individual. High energy. Look, he's, you know, he's a, he's part of the DC uh, sports media crew. Yeah. He lives, he's, yeah. he's in my neck of the woods. Um, all right, my guy, I really appreciate it. Uh, good luck with everything. This, this, uh, at the combine, you got a lot to do and, uh, look forward to seeing what you, what you find out. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, big thanks to Danny Kelly for his time. Thanks to everyone here for, as always, checking out the podcast and checking out my work on The Athletic. Um, you know, it's, 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 uh, this is a fun time. And again, it's it's fun to be at an event like this and not have to worry about um, court cases and uh, investigations. It's the first time we've been able to do this, you know, at the 2020 Senior Bowl Oh, sorry, the 2020 Combine was like the last work event I did before the world closed, right? Um, I went to a Citizen Cope concert, I went to the Combine, and then I stayed in my house for weeks on end, for the most part. Um, and even the last couple of years, even though the world we've returned in 22 and 23, right? I don't think we did 21, um, but 22 and 23... I, there was always something else lurking not this time so this time it's the staff is in place we're moving forward and uh we're getting a feel for this draft class and perhaps what washington is looking to do with it all right that is it for me i appreciate again everybody checking out the podcast um, i'll likely have another one after peters and quinn speak on tuesday but for now ben standard signing off until next time